following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. So I'm going to try to change tones just a little bit here. Twelve of our people are in Rwanda, Africa. They went on a safari yesterday. And they saw all kinds of stuff. Cassie sent a list about this long of all the animals that they saw. And they came up on a mother elephant eating something out of a tree. And they got too close to her and she didn't like that. And she started coming after them. And I don't know how fast that little jeep near whatever there's in <laughs> run. That, that safari vehicle, I don't know how fast it runs, but evidently it wasn't running fast enough or either the driver was trying to make it interesting, but the elephant was gaining on them. And they thought that they were going to be peanuts to the elephant. They thought they were going to fall over the cliff or something. They were scared out of their wits. And I think that the elephant and the safari people have this deal, (laughs) that that elephant's going to always be at that tree, going to always chase the vehicle, and they, they... they probably got money from the pastor. I don't know what's happening. I'm just thinking that. Thank God they made it. And, uh, but McCasty did write me today and said, Daddy, I'm sure missing you. Boy, that made me feel good that my middle daughter's missing me. Wow. I text back with tears in my eyes. I'm still, I'm still, I get, I get, I get teary easy. And it's not my age. Don't put it on my age. <laughs> it is the fact that I love my family. I want to speak tonight on something that I feel very compelled to talk about tonight, remembering and forgetting. And and Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's what I love. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. I am the worst. Philippians chapter 3, brothers and sisters. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Remembering and forgetting. It won't be lengthy. You may be seated and God bless you. Thank you, Randy, for beautiful stuff tonight, young man. Thank you. Glad to have Randy home, huh? Glad to have Randy home. He goes out and and blesses other churches from time to time, and we let him go. We give him hall passes, but we're always happy to have him back home. I want to give you a tale of two ships tonight. Each was named after one of the 50 states. Each was a battleship. And both saw action during World War II. Yet for the purpose of this message, the similarities end there. One saw action on the first day of the war 
while the other saw action on the last day of the war. The fate of each ship was different. One lies today in defeat at the bottom of a harbor. The other floats a few hundred yards away. The victorious moment to the massive effort put forth by the United States to win a war. Of course, the name of the first battleship is the USS Arizona. On Sunday morning, December 7, 1941, Navy crewmen prepared for worship that day on Sunday. But waves of Japanese bombers flew across the Hawaiian island of Oahu toward Pearl Harbor, home to the United States Pacific Fleet. And the bomber pilots ignored lesser targets and focused their attention on what they call the kings of the seven seas. And the battleships parked on Battleship Row. Like a roll call of the states, there was the Oklahoma. There was the California. There was the Nevada. There was the West Virginia. And each of these were attacked by the Japanese Air Force. Yet they fade in comparison to the sinking of the Arizona. The average age of the nearly 1,200 crewmen was only 23 years old. They all sank on this ship, and the ship remains where it sank. That's still a puzzle to me. However, floating a few hundred yards away is a second ship. It's the USS Missouri, or they call it the Mighty Mo. It joined the Pacific Fleet close to the end of the war, and it would later do battle in the conflicts of Korea, Vietnam, and the Persian Gulf. But its supreme moment was on September 2nd, this month, some 74 years ago in 1945. While anchored in Tokyo Bay, delegations from the Allied and Axis power met on Mighty Mo's decks. And here the Japanese surrendered and World War II became history. I think we ought to clap our hands for that <laughs> on this day, on this day. Not long ago, the two ships came very close to each other. The Missouri now floats close to the Arizona. And the guns on the Missouri drop in salute to her sunken comrades on the Arizona. So the USS Missouri represents the place of victory. And the USS Arizona represents the place of defeat. Let me say it again. The USS Missouri represents the place of victory. And the USS Arizona represents the place of defeated. Let me speak a little bit this evening about that. Within our lives, within all of our lives, are two similar ships. One is loaded with our victories and our successes. And the other is filled with our defeats and our failures and our mistakes and our sins and our shortcomings. As at Pearl Harbor, we normally choose to float our victories. But our defeats, they're usually out of sight. We want to sink them. And at first glance, the two scriptures reading from Paul, 1 Timothy 1 and Philippians 3, seem to suggest, though, a contradiction to this. A war raged within the apostle Paul, like it rages in all of us. Paul said, when I wanted to do good, evil was present. 
There was a war, he said, in my members. And the war centered upon what he chose to remember and what he chose to forget. And it's in our lives today. Now, Lord, you're the one who both remembers and forgets. And we are made in your image. And we too remember and we too forget. But we're not good at remembering both our victories and our defeats. So God, one of us has to forget. We humans have selective memory. What do we normally choose to remember us? Remember. Well, each of us has in our life and in usually in our home a trophy room. And we love to show people our trophy room. We like to walk in and gaze at people's trophy. I went and preached for Reed on August the 18th and his sister, my niece, and her husband, he's a taxidermist. He teaches taxidermy out in West Texas and he's well known out there. He's big time. And they have this massive house that we went and had Sunday lunch with. And he said, Uncle Rex, come here. I want to show you my trophy room. And I have never killed anything except one deer and I wept because the deer didn't die soon enough. <laughs> and I had to shoot it again and I said, I'll never shoot another deer. And I walk in the biggest room in his house. The biggest room in his house is his trophy room. He's got bears. He's got lions. He's got tigers. He's got fish. Looks like as long as this stage. They're not, but it looks that way. He's got all kinds of critters. He's been on all kinds of safaris. 25 to 30 things deck his wall and dress his room. And then there's this huge couch it's funny. In the middle of that room and there's a TV on the wall and he said, this is where me and my boy come and watch Sunday football. I said, you come in this room? <laughs> then I asked, does anybody ever spend the night in this room? <laughs> Folks, it was scary with the lights on. <laughs> that bear was... And I could see me going to sleep on that couch and waking up in the middle of the night not knowing where I was sleeping and a little light hitting that bear's head and I'm losing my mind. But it, to him, it's a trophy room. My brother, God rest his soul, my brother was an avid golfer. He was a president of a bank, but that was his second job. Golfing was his first job. And he had all kinds of trophies and I, I'll never forget this. One time I was out there playing with him and we won second in a tournament. And when we were walking away from the course, he grabbed my trophy and took his trophy and threw it in the trash at the golf course. He said, we never play second in this family. He would put nothing in his trophy room except first place trophies. Thank you, Eddie, for destroying my second place trophy. <laughs> However, if you ever gone to a house, you also see closed doors. That's not a trophy room. That perhaps is a failure room. That may be where things are that you don't think needs to be shown. Things that are in there may not need to be looked at. 
It may be what you call the junk room, but it's really the failure room. We'd rather people see our trophy room than our failure room because we float our victories, but we sink our failures. In a seeming contradiction in Scripture, Paul argued for the exact opposite, though. Can I preach to you a little? I'm not long. Paul forgot his victories. This one thing I do, he said, forgetting those things which are behind. And I've often used that scripture and this verse to justify forgetting my mistakes or forgetting my past sins or forgetting my past overt acts. But what Paul, what Paul chose to forget was not that. Paul listed his seven superiorities in the flesh. And I researched them and here they are. Are you ready for this? Here's a superiority that Paul possessed. He said, I was born the stock of Israel. In other words, I was the strength of Israel when I was born. The second superiority, he said, I was circumcised the eighth day as a, as a Jew. The third one, I was from the tribe of Benjamin where the first king came from. The fourth one was I was a Roman citizen. Not only was he Jewish by birth, but he was a Roman citizen. The fifth was he's a Pharisee of all Pharisees. The sixth was he was a member of the Sanhedrin court. And the seventh was he studied at the feet of Gamal, one of the greatest instructors in all the land. And I just threw this in for good measure. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the best. Amen. I was the best. And Paul talked about those seven superiorities, but that's what he was leaving behind. In effect, he said, no, I will not rest upon these successes I will forget those things. And whatever was a success to Paul, he forgot it so he could set his heart to win Christ to himself. Amen. Oh, let me preach now. Everything but Christ in Paul's trophy case was forgotten and treated as nothing. He called it garbage. He called it trash. Or the New Testament word was literally dung. He sank his successes. He forgot his victories. To Timothy, his son in the faith, Paul said, and he didn't put it in the past tense. Paul said, I am the chief sinner. Present tense. I am the chief sinner. Paul didn't get far in his mind from his past. He knew where God had brought him from. And many times our victories that we celebrate are nothing but traps in disguises. That's what Gideon learned. With an army of 32,000, he went out to fight the Midianite force of 135,000. And the enemy stacked up against him with five to one odds. But God wasn't satisfied with those odds. He told Gideon to tell all the fearful to leave, and they did. And only 10,000 remain now. It's 13 to one odds against God's people. And God still wasn't satisfied. Finally, with only 300 left, and the odds 450 to one. Wow, the Lord allowed Gideon to lead his people to battle. And that night, 300 pitchers were broken. 300 lamps were lifted. And 300 voices were heard shouting, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. The sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now listen, time passed and soon Gideon forgot about the sword of the Lord. He seized upon the gold, silver, and precious stones captured in the victory over the Midianites and he fashioned them into a shrine, an idol. And the Bible said the thing became a snare to Gideon and to his house and Gideon lost his way, floating his victory floating his victory. We're a lot like Gideon. We too soon forget about the sword of the Lord and we focus on our abilities and our intellect 
in our acumen and how we figure things out. We minimize God's involvements in our life. And more people lose out with God during times of prosperity than in times of poverty. Oh, I want to preach to you right now. And it all, it's going to be so simple, but here's what I want to tell you. None of us can make it by ourselves. You can't win enough victories in the flesh. You can't win enough victories in the office. You can't win enough victories in your house. Every one of us need to stand at the foot of the cross and say, I need you, Lord, in my life. I cannot, I cannot float my victories. I must sink them and float my failures so that I know without a shadow of a doubt I need you in my life more than anything and everything that the world has to offer. Somebody help me preach right now. I need you. I need you. We live in a world that thinks they don't need anything and everybody in this house needs a Jesus in their life tonight. Everybody needs a savior in their life. More people walk away from God when things are good than when things are bad. My kids are in Africa. I told you at the first of this message. They said, Dad, I've never seen such humility. Such humility. He said, those people, they know they can't do anything without God. But we here in America, we say, I can I can do that. I can make that happen. And if we don't watch ourselves, it's going to be a snare to us. We're going to float our victories and we're going, to, we're going to sink our fears and we're going to recognize that we can do this without God. And there's a lot of churches that are existing today and God's not been visiting in that church in a long time. And I don't want that to happen to Christian life, Austin. I want us to walk in here every time we come in the door and say, Lord, we can't do church without you. We can't do life without you. We can't do family without you. We can't do school without you. We can't do jobs without you. We need you in our life. Come on, clap your hands real big and say amen to that. But God will remember what I choose to forget. If I forget my victories, he'll remember them. Paul boasted about his inabilities more than his strengths and the stronger God became in his life. I've never read this long of a passage, but I'm fixing to read you a passage right out of the book. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, I must go on boasting. Wow, I love the way he starts this. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was called up to the third heaven. And whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he repeats this. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was called up to paradise. Listen to this. And heard inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. And I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself. Except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast. I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of those surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast and all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, what's, you know what's unique about this right here? Paul never told anybody what his thorn was. It was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, but he never told us what it was. Was it his blindness? Was it his hump in his back? Was it the fact that he never got married? Was it some kind of leprosy? What did Paul go through? What was it? He always had enough grace not to tell us. Because he understood if I start floating the fact to everybody what it was and I start bragging about what my thorn in the flesh was, everybody's going to see I'm, I'm floating something I shouldn't be floating. But when I, when I sink my successes and I float my failures, then I understand that there's a God that says my grace is sufficient for you and I will be strong when you are weak. Every time I read this, let me talk to you now. Every time I read this, I go back to 1981 when I lost my wife and boy and I came home from the funeral on that Monday and I went and laid down on my bed and the, and the word came to me, my grace is sufficient. And I knew I had read it before. I knew I had seen it, but I couldn't place it in my mind. And I got up off the bed, went to the, went to the, went to the, 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 the dresser, had my Bible on top of the dresser and I opened it up and I found it. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse 12. I read it, I read it, I saw it. And all of a sudden I realized it was red letter. It was red letter. It was red letter, which meant that it was not only for the Apostle Paul. It was for me. It was for me. I love the words of Jesus because they're not just for the people of his time. They're for everybody here right now. And every time I think I can do this by myself, God takes me back to 1981 and I realize that I couldn't do it unless his grace was sufficient for me. And today I stand here saying, I am what I am, not for who I am, but by the grace of God. I'm sorry I got a little riled up there. Forgive me. No, don't forgive me. I refuse to float my victories. I want you to know when we forget, God remembers. John the Baptist said, he must increase. I must decrease. We must magnify God's abilities and not our own. This is still about him. And the smaller I get, the bigger he grows. The more I depend on him, the less I have to fight this thing by myself. God is for me. Why did God allow David to defeat a lion and a bear and then kill a giant with nothing but a slingshot? Because God didn't want David thinking that these things were done in his own strength. He went to Saul and he said, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the bear. And that Lord will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. David was a man after God's own heart. He was king of all Israel. He knew that any victory won in his life was a result of God Almighty and God Almighty alone. Come on, help me preach right now. I'm almost done. The battle, the victory, the glory belonged only to God. Hebrews 6 said, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you've shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Can I tell you something tonight, folks? God keeps good score. He keeps good score. 
He's the official scorekeeper. I've been cheated in golf by scorekeepers that were unofficial. But God will never cheat us with his score. A cup of cold water given, God will honor that. A second mile walked, God will honor that. A visit to a hospital, God will honor that. A visit to the incarcerated, a cloak and a shirt given away. The least we may forget, but Jesus said, I will never forget the least that you do. I will be there for you. No sacrifice goes unnoticed by God. David said, my sin is ever before me. I can't run from it, but that's why I need God in my life. I need God in my life. I need God in my life. Scripture won't let us forget that Mary Magdalene was a woman whom Jesus cast seven devils out of. I just wonder if the reason it's found in Scripture is that Mary might have wanted it in Scripture. Just a thought. She didn't want anyone to forget how far God had brought her. Why should I remember my failures? Because God's mercy can only be measured by my failures and not my successes. Everybody here say, His mercy faileth not. It's new every morning. Can I tell you, God doesn't give recycled mercy. Mercy's brand new every morning. Mercy's brand new every morning. There's no recyclable mercy. Mercy's new every morning. Somebody ought to get excited about that because some of you need it every morning. Mercy's new every morning. So secondly, God forgets what I remember. God forgets what I remember. And the more I remember my failures, the more he forgets them. God, one of us has to forget my sins. I tell you what, God, I'll remember my sins. God, why don't you forget them? God, one of us has to forget my victories. I'll forget my victories, God, that I had in the flesh. You remember them. You remember them. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes we float the wrong things in life and we sink the wrong things in life. But the whole message is simply one statement. We all need a lot of Jesus. We need him. We need him. We need him. And I stand here tonight, having pastored this church going on 30 years, and I never walked to this pulpit without saying to him and to you, I need him. I need the Lord. In 1992, my brother, my brother decided he didn't want to live anymore, so he took his life. I had to do that funeral. And I, uh, I told the Lord, I said, I can't do it, Randy, if you'll help me. See, I told you I wasn't going to be long. I said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. And God said, why don't you just stand up there and let me just give you unction. And he did. And I can't tell you now what I said then. I really can't. I'm not saying I got up and just moved my mouth. No. I was prepared. But I didn't know how I was going to close the whole situation. 
But I closed it this way. I said, even though my brother took his life, he's in the hands of a God that will not forget his failures and will give him a hope in the next life. I believe that with all my heart. Now, if you disagree with that, don't come talking to me about it. Because I believe that the grace of God never stops. The grace of God never stops. And if I believe that, then I can't preach this gospel anymore. Because I believe grace wins in the end. I believe grace wins in the end. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, spiritual wickedness, things that come against us that are just uncanny and ungodly. But God helps us win. We can win. We can win with him. Would you stand? You're incredible people. And I love you. So, Pastor, what do you think? What do you think about this thing called life? Shane Fraser is going to need my, my, my comfort. Shane Fraser is going to need your comfort when you see him next time in church. Courtney's going to need your comfort. It's been a long time since I've stood in this pulpit and a tragedy has attacked a young person. A tragedy has attacked a young person. And God is going to help us. Today, I'll be honest with you, I fought over which message I needed to preach today and which one I need to put next week. And I decided on this at 6 o'clock and at 6.43. I had two sermons for tonight. And at 6.43, I got the call, the text. And what Shannon and Courtney think will be their greatest failure. God's going to say, I'm going to show you the greatest victory in your life because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you through this tragedy. And he will. And he will. Can anybody attest to that that it's happened in your life? He will.